Coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen, Andy Lau unveils the set of his latest film. Taiwan cancels the release of Sausage Party. Better Tomorrow comes back on Blu-ray again. The Hong Kong Film Awards will be changing its voting system. The Cold War II box office records, and of course, we're going to be talking about the super sequel of the summer that doesn't have superheroes or aliens. Um, that means it's Cold War Two. This is East Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and coming to us from his news desk inside a stolen police van is Mr. Kevin Ma. Well, I could say coming from a cloud storage, Paul. Yes, the cloud storage. The, the ever cloud storage. ubiquitous cloud storage. It's all around us, surrounding <laughs> us. It binds us together, right? Like the force. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the ring, the one ring. Oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's probably as evil as the one ring, right? <laughs> Making us uh, commit foul acts um, because we think we're doing things in private. We think we're hidden like the invisibility spell, right? Um, so, yes, uh, it's been a while, uh, about a week or so uh, since we last talked. We talked about uh, the uh, Ivana and uh, Alex Fong movie that's now a distant memory. So we're here to talk about one of the bigger films of the summer for Hong Kong, and that, of course, is Cold War II. Um, I do just want to mention, if you've been by the website, you've probably seen a blog post that I made with some rather unfortunate news, we would say. Um, I will be departing Hong Kong in a couple months after 16 years, and I won't get too much into the you know things going on to prompt this, but it's family-related. And I'm very much a family first kind of person. So um, it's just, it is what it is and it's going to happen. And uh, in a few months from now, uh, you might be hearing me recording from sunny South Florida once again uh, after all this time. But uh, if you're interested to know more, do stop by uh, the website. And I plan to sort of try and post uh, a weekly blog about, you know, what we're going through with this process um, there's a lot to it, a lot more to it than I thought. I thought it would just be a case of, all right, pack up and head them out. But no, um, it, it, it seems that when you live in a place for 16 years, things get much more intertwined and complicated. But um, I figured that by blogging about it, it would help me in a somewhat therapeutic manner to sort of work through it. So if you're interested to find out more about what's going on with that, uh, do stop by the website. Uh, I've received a lot of support and messages from friends all throughout Hong Kong and other parts of the world. Listeners, too, have reached out. And I just want to say a big thanks to everybody for all of the support. It really means a lot. And uh, thanks for supporting the show for all this time and sticking around and listening to us babble about films because uh, that's why we do this. Uh, it's because we know that there are people out there who are as passionate about films and especially Hong Kong films as we are. So we're glad to be able to share our voices with you so thanks for sticking around of course it's kind of a, a hidden blessing for paul because he no longer says to sit through the likes of kidnap ding ding dong yeah but you know <laughs> that's the thing it's like you know uh, absence makes the heart grow fonder and i just have a feeling that in you know three or, f or four months after the move you'll be talking about some lame wang jing movie and i'll just be like opining <laughs> from uh, the chair that I'm sitting in, right? Um, no, that I'm going to have to take a long, long absence away from J movies. But no, sir, it, for those people who, who are wondering about the fate of the show, just before we start recording, we were talking about ideas for, for the show after Paul makes his move. So we are going to try our best to continue the show. And thank you. Thanks to Paul for, for at least, you know, uh, um, take, even considering continuing the show despite, you know, having to do all the difficult work. So uh, thank thank him for that. And thanks for Kevin for 
sticking by me all these years and listening to me ramble my uh, inanities about uh, Hong Kong films, right? <laughs> all right, well, let's talk about some uh, news before we get into our film this week. We do have quite a few news stories, so let me throw the ball back over to Kevin at the news desk with this week's news. Here at the news desk, uh, well, this week we're going st- to you know, talk about Cold War II, and it is the movie of the summer here in Hong Kong, at least until, I guess, the new, uh, there's a new Andy Lau, oh, wait, oh wait, there's a Lao Chang Wan film. Uh, but anyway, a bunch of, but it's kind of the official start of the summer movie season here in, uh, for Hong Kong cinema. Um, but So we're going to start and end with Cold War II this week. Uh, so, Paul, we didn't watch Cold War II together, unfortunately. Uh, I watched it in, uh, with, with Kozo and, and the movie group, and uh, you watched it. Uh, how was your experience? Yes. So, I, I went, I had to go by myself because I, I wasn't able to make the movie group screening. And uh, as is my practice, I like to sit in the very back row of the theater. When I booked my ticket, nobody was there. And uh, so the day arrives, and I go into the theater and go head towards the back. And there's three elderly Chinese gentlemen sitting there. Now, I mean, these are not really old. Uh, I'd say they were maybe 60s or so. So not, you know, not not elderly, elderly, but older um, and very businessmen oriented. The guy who was sitting direct, I was sitting on the aisle seat where I like to sit in case I have to get up and frequently go to the bathroom or something. And the guy who was in the chair right next to me, he had like his two friends next to him. He was in this gold business suit. Okay, <laughs> I, I kid you not, a gold business suit with an even brighter gold yellowish tie. Okay, and I was just like, okay, you know, the people sit next to me all the time, not a big deal. The minute I sat down, and previews had not started, you know, the, the lights were still up. The minute I sat down, his two friends were kind of talking to each other dude was out and snoring loud i mean he was just full-on gone and that lasted through the previews and in well into the start of the movie now he eventually woke up and i think that and i'll talk a little bit more about this later i think he woke up around the time that i fell asleep because i did fall asleep (laughs) in this movie so uh, i'll talk a little bit more about that uh, when we get into it but yeah i've i've i mean i've heard people snore in the theater before, but never at before the movie started, you know, it was like, this guy was really tired. I don't know if they just came from like a high powered, uh, business meeting or something, but you know, very much that sort of stereotypical image that you might have of an older Chinese businessman and the kind of, you know, suit that they would wear. And they were just there watching the movie, um, in, in the afternoon and they, their friend was just he was gone i was i was very surprised um but he did he was awake by the end and uh so i guess at, at a certain point the pace the sound the noise something picked up you know maybe it was when the chow yun fat finally came on screen or something there could have been a, from the chow yun fat fan club and and you know he finally got up but i want to say at least a good 10 15 minutes into the start of the movie he's just <laughs> grinding away um, never had that kind of experience. So this is the, you know, this is part of the thing that I guess makes going to the movies still somewhat of an experience. And this is not something that you would encounter, you know, in your home, unless it's your significant other who doesn't really like the movie that you're watching and just decides to tune it all out. Right. So, so uh, Paul, uh, um, when you watch a movie of me and, you know, I, I, I do have a tendency to, uh, take some rest, you know, during the film, um, Sometimes uncontrolled, you know, involuntarily. Uh, do I snore? Uh, I don't think I've heard you snore. I've, you 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 tend to fish, you know. You you've got that bobbing up and down that that happens on occasion. Right. But I mean, this guy was like in deep, deep level six REM sleep. I mean, <laughs> he was like in dreamscape or inception mode or something. I I, I don't know what was going on. Um, I, I like I said, I've heard people snore in in cinemas before. Um, quite often at the Dynasty, as I recall, but. Never like the guy sitting exactly right next to me. Um, and his friends, they didn't, you know, it's like, you know, your friends are there with you. Sometimes you'll just like, you know, jab them in the side or something if they're really, you know, going out. Nope. <clears throat> they just let him go. And uh, eventually he came to. Well, do you need to sleep? You know, all right, I guess. Anyway. Yes. Indeed. Well, so, but you slept, dude. Yes, I did. I did. Or, or, I'd, 
we'll fill in what you missed in a little bit after after uh, more of these news. Mm. But anyway, um, I wonder actually how many of the people went to see Cold War Two this weekend uh, fell asleep, and there were a lot of people. Um, yes, Cold War Two opening in um, pretty much almost every cinema in Hong Kong, especially in the Broadway cinema chain because it is owned and operated by Echo Films, the producer of the film. Um, it has smashed box office records over the weekend. Um, not only did it set a new record for the biggest opening day for a Chinese-language film, um, beating out their own uh, own release, Mermaid, Stephen Chow's Mermaid. It also broke the biggest single-day box office record. I think it was on Saturday. Um, also beating uh, Mermaid, uh, made $7.5 million Hong Kong dollars in a single day. And uh, by the end of the weekend, it had made 22 Two million Hong Kong dollars. That's nearly. Um, that's only about. Um, blah, 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 blah. That's double the gross of a film. Say like, um, he, she remembers, he forgets, uh, or it is. Um, or for more context, um, from Vegas to Macau Free during the entire theatrical one in Hong Kong, it made twenty-seven million Hong Kong dollars. So in one weekend, Cold War made twenty-two. Um, but of course, it's again, like I said, it's helped by the Broadway cinema chain um, because some of the cinemas, some of its bigger multiplexes, like the the one cinema in Jim's Trail, which has six screens, um, they nearly devoted. I think they devoted all their screens during nighttime to Cold War Two. That means if you went to, if you went to a cinema this weekend, especially went to a Broadway cinema chain, you pretty much did not have much of a choice but to watch Cold War Two or Tarzan or you know a few of the Hollywood blockbuster that only has singular single number of showings left, one one or two showings left during the day. Otherwise you're pretty much, you know, forced to see Aaron and and and, and Tony Learn duke it out on a big screen. So um this this kind of shows that to be a successful distributor in Hong Kong you really have to own a cinema chain. Yeah. And multiple screenings too of not uh, of both versions, right? I mean, there's a there's a 3D version out there and a 2D version. And right. They're running them across multiple houses at uh, somewhat compressed times. I mean, they're they're really packed and packed in. They've really packed them in quite clo- close together. Yeah. Um. Well, not actually. Fortunately, we didn't have many screens devoted to the 3D version. There was also IMAX 3D version, which. I have no idea why the film part. The look at the film's drone shot. They barely looked okay on the on the on the big medium sized screen that I watched. Imagine watching that really crappy drone shot in IMAX 3D. I mean, the film is does not call for the this this giant screen format. And it, you know, the thing is, you know, you have about ten minutes of action and hundred minutes of people talking and staring, and you know, that's not really dramatic or or interesting to watch on IMAX 3D. But anyway. There they went, and lots of money it made. So good for uh, Edgo, good for Mr. Bill Kong, good for the, the director, and good for the cast, I suppose. And good for Cold War Three. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely getting a Cold War Three, whether you want it or not. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about more of opinions of the film uh, during the review of the film. But there it is, Cold War Two, huge, huge hit. Um, by the way, actually, interesting kind of tidbit um, from the Love HK Film Group. Uh, some people have noticed that the Wellgo release in uh, North America, uh, in the United States, is being released in Mandarin. But yet in Canada, where a uh, friend of the show, Sani, uh, Sani Lam, watched the film, he said he watched it in Cantonese. So, um, very interesting release strategy over there in North America. And uh, I guess a heads up for those of you in, in, the, in the States, in the U.S., trying to watch the film, remember that the release, the theatrical release, is in Mandarin. So if you do really want to hear Aaron and Tony and all the other Hong Kong stars, uh, including the second and third tier TVB actors, duke it out in their original language, uh, you may want to wait until DVD. Which is interesting, too, because Aaron actually has a bit of English dialogue as well. Yes, and actually a lot of the Cantonese dialogue include abbreviations because um, they're talking in terms of a lot of job titles. They talk about CP, as in Commission of the Police. Um, they talk about, you know, clean team and lots of abbreviations. Again, abbreviations of job titles. And um, I doubt that they would carry those over in Mandarin because, I mean, people in, in, in China, they don't operate. The police don't operate with English t- job titles. So, um, so yeah, if you really want to get the original dialogue with the English and with all the, all the pointless abbreviations and all the job titles, you really gonna, should watch the Cantonese version. Yes, indeed. Well, let's move on from Cold War because we're going to be coming back to it. And let's talk about something that's really important for Hong Kong cinema, Andy Lau, right? 
Yes. Um, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about the new Andy Lau film, the Herman Yao film, Shockwave. Um, but actually, when, by the time we had talked about it, the film was already shooting for some time. And now shooting has wrapped. Um, last week, uh, the film's official Facebook released a video of the of the film's really epic, epic harbor tunnel set. I mean, they I think they found a, a piece of land under the um, the Stonecutters Bridge nearby the um, the pier over in Kwai, Kwai Chung. And they built a, 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 a set of Hong Kong's Harbor Tunnel. Um, and it looked incredibly real. And apparently that's where the film's climax is set. So um, the set looks really impressive. And I'm going to actually put a link here in the notes to that video. Um, but yeah, it, it's pretty amazing. Because Andy Lau has a, has, a, has a history, I suppose, a recent history of having films that build extravagant uh, set of existing um, uh, places like for um, Firestorm they actually rebuilt a whole city block in Centro uh, using a combination of green screen and actual sets uh, they actually built a set in the uh, old uh, Kaitech airport runway um, unfortunately it was only one city block or space or so but that's where the climactic shootout is filmed uh, at least about 90% of it is filmed there and a lot of it was put together by really impressive green screen work. And here they even go further because the entire set, they don't use any green screen except, I guess, for the um, the side stuff. But the actual tunnel entrance is, is built. Unfortunately, after the um, the shooting wrapped and they're meant to dismantle it, I think, in the, in, in the coming weeks. Um, some, I guess, photography fans or some film fans or... Uh, some say, yeah, it's photography uh, uh, buffs broke into the set and actually broke some of the props in order to, you know, use t- for their own photography gain, apparently. And that's that's quite sad, even though. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, that's happened. That really sort of put a put a black spot on the whole thing. But otherwise, it's a really impressive set. Yeah. Looking forward to that film. Yeah. All right. Uh, next bit of news. Over to Taiwan and the uh, very odd animated film Sausage Party. Yes. Um, so uh, there's a film coming up, um, animated film. Uh, it's a Seth Rogen, I mean, co-written by Seth Rogen. But yeah, um, Seth Rogen film called Sausage Party. It's an animated film. It's R-rated uh, animated film about um, that imagines if foods can talk and they realize the terrible, terrible truth that befalls them when they meet human beings um the film have you seen a trailer for this paul you know what to yes i have and what do you think i you know i i love animation and i'm okay with adult you know animation you know going back to the days of like fritz the cat and stuff i don't know i just the designs are so blatant because the sausage obviously is a reference to a male organ and the bun is very much designed like a female you know organ and i just think that it's a little bit too on the nose in terms of the design i'm gonna see it because i again i do love animation um and but i'm not a big fan of i would say the that kind of really adult humor Um, well yeah i think it's just too it's too on the nose i prefer humor that's a, a bit more subtle by design well even the sausage is named frank yeah, <laughs> we just have to, come on. See, I, you laughed, but anyway, the, the film was due out in uh, August, and you know because it's being released by a huge Hollywood studio, Sony, um, people would expect worldwide distribution pretty much day and date. But uh, apparently, um, after a early screening, uh, internal screening by the local distributor, uh, the Sony distributor in, in Taiwan. The company has decided to cancel the release. At least the local distributor has decided to cancel the release. Um, the official reason I think they were giving to the media is that it would harm, it would give, it would leave a negative effect on children. Um, now I'm not sure if children are going to be able to access the film except you know through illegal downloads. But for in, in terms of cinema release, I assume the film will be rated, uh, will be R-rated, and that means no one under 18 can uh, can enter the film. Unfortunately, that is apparently the problem because. Um, Taiwan apparently has not had, or the Taiwan distributor has really no faith in a animated film that is um, that is R rated or that is only suitable for adults. So, for commercial consideration, thinking that the film will be a flop in Taiwan, they've decided to cancel the release. Hmm. Um, last I heard, the Hong Kong release should still be coming. Um, there hasn't been any official release date announced yet. I think 
or there hasn't been and there hasn't been a trailer or anything a uh, local trailer at least but i think the hong kong release um should still be coming um but it's kind of sad because actually when the um when you know you see taiwan netizens a lot of them were looking forward to the film you know films these these kind of um a uh, subversive uh uh um adult oriented films that are supposed to to you know sort of make fun of uh children's um programming trying children's story like ted and even kingsman right which is a really kind of really super violent take on on a really pg-13 genre um those tend to do really well in taiwan like ted did extremely well in taiwan kingsman did extremely well in taiwan and what was another film this year that sort of had that kind of vibe mm, if you remember deadpool, uh, deadpool. Deadpool. deadpool did extremely well in taiwan so the thing is these type of you know, films that tend to be PG-13 or tend to be suitable for teens uh, when they become adult-oriented films, they still do really well in Taiwan. Um, Ted, again, did extremely well in Japan, um, defying pretty much all expectations. So so it's kind of sad that distributors sort of made, you know, unilaterally sort of make the decision about actually realizing what the audience would like to see. And the thing is, summer is so filled with these kid-friendly films and so many family films that the adults sort of get forgotten in the mix and i thought sausage party would have been kind of nice nice um kind of programming i I have a feeling that if they do a canto dub version they're gonna get uh uh chapman toe (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) i mean mean, who else would 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 take on a category three animated film if not him well, the question is whether the local distributor would let you know, go all out on the actual um, the swearing aspect, and I doubt they would, um, just because generally for for you know decency purpose, I guess. But if they do decide to make it into like an all category for yes, I think Chairman Toe would be pretty high on that list. Um, yeah. Well, uh, we can just hope that it uh, eventually gets to us sooner rather than later. Yeah, I actually quite look. I look forward to it. Really. Anyway. Um, okay, next piece of news. Um, so, if you've surfed the internet, your your e shopping sites lately, you're hunting on uh, hunting for Asian films. You might notice that there is a new remastered A Better Tomorrow Blu-ray coming out, and there's a second Blu-ray release of the film. And um, I'm here to clear things up. Um, I haven't actually seen the Blu-ray yet because I'm, I haven't bought it yet. But first of all, I've heard of a couple of issues that people might be confused by, or people. That's made people reluctant to buy it. First of all, on the box, there's uh, something that says Ultra HD 4K, right? And people might, might think that, oh my god, it's an Ultra HD uh, 4K Blu-ray. I mean, I, how am I going to watch it? First of all, don't worry. It is a regular Blu-ray that anyone can watch, or anyone with a Blu-ray player can watch, because what that Ultra 4D HK is referring to is the actual remastered master print of the film the film was remastered uh into a 4k print by the um by the italian uh film lab uh or the hong kong branch of an italian film lab um uh and and yes the 4k print was struck but the uh the actual blu-ray itself is actually a 2k so it's a regular blu-ray uh anyone blu-ray player would play it and and it was saying the back of the box it says 1920 times 1080p that means it's a regular blu-ray so don't worry don't worry. And again, in that vein, don't worry, it is not the Fortune Star quote-unquote remaster because they didn't remaster the damn movie. They just upscaled it to Blu-ray um, or to 2K um, or to HD. I can assure you that this film came from an actual remastered HD, Ultra HD source. That means the, the Blu-ray will look like a... I wouldn't say it's crisp because the film is like 30 years old, but it's going to be a clean remaster print so um, if you're looking for, I think, what, what would be considered definitive um, uh, release of A Better Tomorrow uh, so far, um, barring any Master of Cinema or Criterion release, this is the one to get. Do we know anything about the audio? Because I, I think, if I remember correctly, I was listening to Kenneth cover these the, the trilogy over on um, some older episodes of Podcast on Fire, and I think there's an issue between the DVD version that we have, which is a Fortune Star, right? And the Blu-ray non-remastered upscale. There's there's something off about the audio on the Blu-ray, if if I remember correctly. It's um it's got a different kind of audio 
um, and it's not it's if, if uh, I, I it's been a while s since I listened to that episode, but it's something where it's where the DVD is actually superior to the Blu-ray in terms of the audio options available. I've heard something like that. The thing is, the film was was shot in mono, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Dolby Surround wasn't invented by the the mid '80s yet. I think stereo. I think films weren't really in stereo in uh, maybe at best they're in stereo in Hong Kong, right? So we you know they didn't have the sophist sophisticated like 5.1 or 7.1 or 11.1 mixes that we hear now, but yet, um, I guess to some kind of meet some kind of specification or to kind of impress these audiophiles or the, 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 the home theater guys, they had to make surround mixes. And uh, I've heard that the, the previous um, Blu-ray release by Fortune Star, uh, distributed by Cameron Ronson, I think, but anyway, m most important thing, that print came from Fortune Star, um, is that there were a lot of sort of exaggerated gunshot sounds yeah, that didn't yeah. sound that's, I natural. Remember that's right? what they were talking about, and they said it's just it. It really sounds bad compared with just the normal mono track, which I, I guess is available on the DVD. Yeah, I'm actually very worried that that the because the new mix is again something like HD 7.1, whatever the hell. Um, I, I'm a bit worried myself, and and I have no idea what the mix is going to sound like. I hope it's going to sound better. Um, but as far as I know, the, the remastered uh, aspect of the film is in the print, uh, the visual print. I'm not sure about the audio. I don't think if, if they were serious about releasing this film, um, or I guess about the remastering of this film, they should have released the original mono track. But it seems like it, 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 they, they, they've not done that and just released a surround track. And I don't really... Um, in fact, when I watch the film, I may not even turn on my 5.1 speakers. I might just turn on my TV speakers and mm -hmm. just keep it in mono. And with this release, are we expecting um, a similar treatment with uh, the second and the third film? Um, the lab, the Italian lab, did not remaster the second and third film. Um, their latest uh, film they remastered was uh, "Say La Vie Mon Cheri," the uh, Derek E film starring Lao Cheng Wan and Ye Yuan. Um, that print already has already premiered in Shanghai. Uh, I think it will play in Hong Kong sooner or later. And I uh, wouldn't be surprised if that's the next Blu-ray release we get. Mm. Okay, that's too bad. I'm I'm a big fan of the third film out of the series. Just well, I think, because you know uh, it's got Anita in it more than anything the th else. The thing is with the um, since actually John Woo um, supervised the remaster of the first film, and I think the lab sort of wants filmmakers' participation in this. And I wouldn't be surprised. Well, first of all, John Woo is not going to supervise the remaster of a third film because it's not his film. Right. Um, not sure if even he'll even be willing to do a, or supervise the second film. We've, you know, first of all, he's going to be busy shooting Manhunt, um, and second, maybe perhaps um, he would not think much of the film enough to supervise a remaster print of it. I don't know. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, if you get a hold of this at some point before we do, and uh, you get a chance to take a listen, or you have uh, some feedback on this version, and drop us a line, let us know. Finally, we're going to talk a little bit about the Hong Kong Film Awards, um, and they're going to change their voting system. Yes. Uh, if you remember back in April when 10 years uh, won the Best Picture Award, a, lot of, a few of the company bosses got up in arms about how the system was unfair and how they were out to change the system, and apparently they are getting what they wanted. Um it's, it's quite an infuriating situation, I have to admit. Um, so the, the Hong Kong Film Awards Committee met recently, I think this week, um, and after some very intense debate, um, the essentially the representative of the um, few big studios or few big, few big film companies um, have pretty much demanded that the voting system, especially the second round voting system, to be changed. At the moment, this, sound, this is going to sound a little bit... Um, complicated, so bear with me, okay? Second round election. Uh, so there are two rounds of, of voting in, in the Hong Kong Film Awards. The first round, you have um, essentially very much a general vote to, to narrow down the nominees, I suppose. And the second round, you have uh, two different sectors voting, okay? 55% of that vote is determined by an actual um, uh, professional jury. Um, that makes up, I think, um, it is formed, I think, by, I think it's about 20 people or 15 people or something like that. But anyway, they're a jury of professionals from the, from the industry and their, their, their votes 
make up 55% of the second round score. The rest of the 45% is made up of votes from the, all the committees that make up the Hong Kong Film Work Committees. That's like the Director's Committee, the, the Scriptwriter's Committee, and so forth and so forth. 13 different guilds or unions, um, as well as the, um, let me look it up here, the uh, uh, members of the Composer and Arthur Society of Hong Kong. So apparently these bosses, um, who may I add, if I may add again, never saw the film before they criticized 10 years, uh, have now demanded that the professional jury part that takes up 55% be taken out completely. I think they, they realized that it might have been the jury's decision, the, the professional jury that got the film um, awarded Best Picture, and they want the whole system abolished. Um, the actual vote, uh, so now um, the... the um, Guild members of the executive committee of the Hong Kong Film Awards and the composer and author society of Hong Kong, they will make up 100% of the vote in the second round. Um, uh, this apparent decision will come to a vote uh, next week. Uh, and um, if they do get what they want, um, I think films of commercial nature, like say films produced by one of those businessman who who criticized decisions such as a man free or or um what was the media asia film i suppose uh the one that peter lamb didn't get whatever media asia didn't win um they would have a better chance of winning because um you know certain vested interests and whatever um and it's going to quite limit the scope um of the the actual awards because you have people who may not be experienced in the field i say the professional jury members um and and it might have a small representation. I'm not sure, but it, it's quite of infuriating because um, these were all you know. It's clear that why what drove them essentially kind of a case of sour grapes, right? Like sore losers um, screaming that they want they want the rules changed because they get their way, which is um, is is quite shameful of them, I think. Um, but anyway, that that's going to happen in the Hong Kong Film Awards. Um, there were even rumors that Derek Yee, the, the chair, the, 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 I guess the, the chairman of the festival committee, who is not the jury chairman, by the way, there is no jury chairman in the Hong Kong Film Awards. It's just the chairman who organized, of the organizer of the award, was actually called to the China liaison office in, 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 um, in, in Hong Kong, uh, to explain the, the, uh, winning of 10 years. And it's kind of getting scary out here, I think, the way that, um, you have these politically motivated decisions um, or these politically motivated criticism um, going on in the arts. Um, yeah, it's kind of worrisome. I mean, do you think this is going to seriously impact the future awards? Um, yet to see, but I think um, there's a certain... Uh, I'm not sure how this is going to affect the, nom- the nominating process, but it's almost certain that this is going to discourage people from um, voting for... Um, I think, I, I'm guessing what happened was that the people who complained, they figured out that it was the professional jury who drove the 10 years to, to victory. And that I guess the, uh, the other... The, the 50, 45% of jury voted went for more commercial films. But the thing is, it's quite unfair because when Cold War won, no one said anything about changing the system. Right when the when the when when the ex head of ICAC you know uh, won the the best new actor award, then everyone went WTF. No one said let's change the system. But when a film that's you know that gets them you know in trouble with China, then suddenly oh my god we gotta change the award. It's unfair. Please, like there have been plenty of winners who did not deserve a Hong Kong Film Award before anyone screamed let's change the system. It's quite, it's quite. Conf- not not confusing, but it's just very frustrating that that you got these cowards, cowards who who you know who are afraid to to do anything you know uh, to you know make any risky decisions or you know you know who are just so keen to kiss ass up north that that they sort of give up any integrity of what they're doing and, and it kind of shows that a lot of people who run the Hong Kong film industry just care about money. And money and money and money and not not about not about anything else and that's the way the Hong Kong film industry is, people. Yeah, it's uh, you know it, it, they know where their bread is buttered, as we've said before, and uh, I guess if uh, that's where their paychecks are coming from, and you know future projects, future movies, then they don't want to rock the boat. 
And honestly, if, if Hong Kong industry, Hong Kong films, you know, Hong Kong cinema is going to keep heading this way, I don't think Hong Kong film industry is worth saving. Fine, go ahead, get get absorbed in the Chinese film industry. I don't, you know, if you guys are so willing to to just think about money and not just think about heritage, cultural heritage, or 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 creative freedom or whatever, you don't care anything else other than money. Then fine, let Hong Kong cinema die because it doesn't deserve to live with people like that running it. All right, we will get down off our soapbox, take a short musical break, and we'll come back to talk about Cold War Two. And welcome back. Our film this week, the big summer sequel for Hong Kong cinema, that is Cold War II. It's coming from a director, Long Min Lung and Sunny Look, starring uh, you know big cast, big names, Aaron Kwok, Tony Lung, ref- uh, returning to reprise their roles with the addition of uh, Chow Yun-Fat this time in, uh, rather than uh, Andy Lau, who had a small cameo from the first film. Uh, much of the original cast is here too, and we'll get to some of the more notable appearances uh, in turn. The story, picking up after the first film, new police commissioner Sean Lau, played by Aaron Kwok, finds himself at the heart of a conspiracy to remove him from office. Behind the scheme is apparently the incarcerated Joe Lee, son of the former police commissioner M.B. Lee, played by Tony Lung Ka Fai. Complicating matters further is that the investigation by a legislator, Oswald Khan, played by Chai Yun-Fat, into the abuse of power by Sean Lau, um, leads his investigations to an even deeper conspiracy than anyone could have guessed. So, cards on the table, as I said, I did fall asleep through part of this movie. Uh, I think I got to, I want to say, around the 45-minute mark, and uh, I slipped away for a period, and I came back around the time of the big tunnel fight scene, fight sequence. Oh my um, god, you missed the dumbest part of the whole plot. Did I? Yes. So, yeah, I I, I, I know I missed something, so I do apologize, uh, because I am not one to normally slip off in in a film, and maybe it was the cadence of the guy next to me, as you know, maybe he just got me started, you know, I just kind of, like, fell into rhythm uh, or something. I don't know. Uh, this movie just kind of bored me in that first 45 minutes. Um even though it is kind of pretty much picking up from the events of the first film, I just, I mean, there's an initial little bit of action in, in the beginning with um, kind of a, an escape, and then it gets into some long sequences of reintroducing characters and throwing up title after title after title. I almost thought this was like an all, old, old Shaw Brothers movie from the 70s, except in those movies it would give you the actual name of the actor, you know, to say so-and-so playing as so-and-so, right? Uh, but here it's just, like, the name of the character with some, you know, long commissioner, sub-commissioner, superintendent for the ICNC, what's-its-not, or something. It's like, who cares? At, at a certain point, you're just saying, up oh, there's that actor, up oh, there's that actor, and some of them pop up on screen, and you never see them again. So it's like, why go to all this trouble? to give us these sort of intertitles of what their position is. It was a little bit distracting at times, and they kind of, you know, once they've introduced so many people in that first hour, they don't have a need to really do it anymore, so they kind of move beyond it. Uh, I don't recall that being a thing in the first film, uh, but I haven't watched the first... I need to go back and rewatch the first film. It's been a while since I've seen it. Was it a thing? I, I don't know. Maybe Kevin can refresh our memory on that. So... I thought the tunnel sequence was a really good action piece. We've got Chin Kalak doing the action here, um, and you know he's always able to deliver 
some solid action pieces and and that's a pretty good piece of work although it does kind of it it makes the villains look kind of incompetent in some ways and it also makes Aaron look like a kind of superman in some ways um i wouldn't say it's the most believable action sequence i've ever seen but i do think it at least it was enough to wake me up and and sort of get me on the edge of my seat for a little bit. So I do think it was well crafted and, and and well constructed, and they do have one shot that involves a motorcycle that kind of had me shaking my head for a minute because uh, it's some pretty good stunt work um, that's going on, and I couldn't tell whether it was some kind of hybrid composite of CG or just an actor doing it kind of old school Hong Kong way, the old school Hong Kong way that they used to do where they just say, here's a bunch of money, throw yourself at the wall or something. Right. Um, so don't know how they did it, but very impressive uh, with that. Once we get beyond that sort of, uh, you know, mid point tunnel sequence, it gets back into sort of talky mode and people shouting at you, each other and putting their fingers in each other's faces and for me, the film tends to take itself a little bit too seriously, uh, much like the first film did. It's uh, a lot of pomp and not too much circumstance. There is a lot of politics going on, but at the same time, it's all sort of self-composed within the Hong Kong police force. And I think it just it takes itself seriously, but it doesn't have the same kind of gravitas as, say, Port of Call. Um, and so you've got Aaron in both these films, very different performances, you know, where he's working within the police force, uh, just very different levels altogether. Um, I think I heard um, somebody on uh, in the Love Hong Kong film group, it might have been um, Stephen, he was saying that it kind of feels like a TV drama, you know, like a cop drama in some ways. And, and after he made that comment, I was kind of, yeah, I can kind of, kind of see that, although it's much more polished than you would get on, say, TVB. Um, some of the dramatic moments are just kind of over the top, almost like they're doing it for stage rather than for screen in some ways. Um, it, the film does have a pretty high body count for uh, a kind of film like this. But by the end of it, it doesn't really accomplish much. And I think this is my biggest problem with the film. It's that it's trying to, you know, the, 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 the main crux of it is that you've got this conspiracy to get rid of Sean Lau. I'm not, not Lau Ching Wan, but uh, the actual Aaron Kwok character. And in trying to get rid of him, it's this whole sort of convoluted sort of political conspiracy thing and part of me just thinks an old school Hong Kong film would have simply hired two no-name thugs to take him and his family out and been done with it and you know simple problem solved rather than going through this whole big thing where there's all these kind of uh, people against each other and political maneuvering that can be interesting to a point but at a certain point you simply scratch your head and go that's just way too much work. If these guys really want to do this thing, if there's that much involved, if there's that much power at stake, you know, surely they would go the simpler route, right? I mean, it's it's almost like a Occam's razor kind of kind of an idea. So there was a there there was a hard time for me to really get behind a lot of it. Also, too, it's one of those films that's really shows the strengths of the villains. It's like the villains are always super masterful always a, you know a step ahead and always showing up the hong kong police for various reasons they do get into some rationale for why that happens a little bit later but it's just you know it, i have a hard time thinking that that would really you know be the case where you could have a group doing that and they kind of did that in the first film too uh, to, to, to some extent so they sort of carry that element over i think um, but it's kind of, by the end of it, I want to say it's kind of like an Empire Strikes Back, but not in a good way. Because they, again, they really don't resolve anything here. Um, they kind of highlight a few things. There was one moment where I kind of felt like, oh, okay, at least, at least that is done, right? At least this one plot point has been sort of accomplished. 
as a sort of carryover from the first film. But nope, they go to the end of the film and they're like, nope, nope, sorry, we're going to take that from you too. So I, again, I don't want to spoil it here, but once you see the film, you'll you'll get my meaning very, very clearly. So it's a film that I, I wouldn't say, you know, it's it's terrible. It's okay to look at. Got some good action pieces, but a lot of just over-dramatized acting that doesn't really appeal to me. You know, people just kind of glaring at each other, and, you know, Aaron is just so intense all of the time. And, and again, I think it's he's much better when he's much more downplayed, much more quirky, much more reserved like he was in, say, Port of Call than what we're given here, where it's just like he's grinning his teeth all the time. And he's just, you know, it's it's almost like he's trying to play Superman and he's trying to burn you with his X-ray, you know, his heat vision or something. Uh, and it's just not coming out. So I was actually most interested of the characters they, they showed us with Chow Yun-Fat, who's actually not in the movie all that much. Based on the trailer, you'd think he has a considerable amount of screen time. He gets more screen time than Andy Lau did, who basically just had one very short scene. Uh, but still, it's not a lot of screen time. And he has a interesting relationship with the Janice Mann character. And I actually found their relationship to be much more interesting than anything else that was going on. I wanted more of their sort of story. I wanted to see them more on screen together. I could have had, a, you know, maybe a whole movie just about them, you know, doing stuff and and fighting crime and, 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 and solving cases and stuff. Uh, I don't know. I just found their chemistry a lot more interesting than a lot of what they ended up giving me on screen. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's again, a film to see. I don't want to be too hard on it because, again, I did miss part of it. So I won't say don't see it. Um, I, you know, it is one of the bigger productions of the year. It's making lots and lots of money. So it's definitely something that you'll probably want to pick up when it comes your way. But maybe you don't need to be too desperate to see it. So, Kevin, the ball is over to you. Oh, I just took a long, long breath so I can, you know, sigh. Um, no, I got a couple of, you know, the thing is, the movie, it's, I don't, have you seen the, uh, you know, there's a Hong Kong honest trailer for this film, huh? No, I have not. Is there? There is, yeah. There's a. Uh, is actually from the honest guys or from a different No, group? not from those guys. There's, okay. it's, uh, there's a YouTube channel called Cap TV, which is uh, actually. Um, yeah, it's Cap TV, and it's these younger people who want to replicate honest trailer, but they do it with Hong Kong films. So there's one for Midnight After, there's one for Cold War, there's one for Switch, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, and actually, actually, it's narrated by one of the young stars of uh, She Remembers, He Forgets. Uh, so, Yao Hok So, you can, uh, and when he does so, that's why he did one for. Um, he did one for he remembers she or she uh, she remembers he forgets. That's mm. just funny. But anyway, yes, the the um, honest trailer for the first film actually nails the criticism of the first film quite well because like the whole conspiracy is dumb because you know it's actually quite a stupid plot. We think about the whole idea behind it. Um, it has way too many scenes of people staring at each other, um, and it had all these people who are just you know. Voss, you know, human Voss, like the Eddie Pan character or like Charlie Yeung character. And a lot of the same issues actually uh, follow here in the second film. And I think that the direction has gotten a little more mature. Um, the script writing, uh, the structure isn't so clear. I kind of like that very clear structure in the in the first film, so I kind of missed that. Um, and the film actually is a bit subversive for co-production because um, – it, 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 I don't think it's a huge, huge spoiler because what the film is supposing um, is that uh, you have... Because the film is about getting deeper into conspiracy and it's supposed saying that there are deeper forces, political forces, that are controlling the police force and that the police force is essentially just a pawn in the big scheme of political power play. And I think it's a very um, strong message to put forth Especially after um, the the whole Occupy movement and a lot of the uh, criticism towards the police about how they're just uh, executors of oppressive government, things like that. So for that to, to bring that up, and you have to kind of know Hong Kong recent events to be f at least familiar this much to kind of see the, the guts that it took to even imply that in, in today's Hong Kong political climate. Um, so I thought that was quite intriguing. But the, f but the thing is, uh, it's done in such 
pompous, self-important, arrogant even manner and none of it, it well, I wouldn't say none of it but all, so much of it is kind of parody worthy you have again too many scenes of people staring at each other you have uh, really stupid plot points like we are saying um, uh, Chow and Fat and Janice May going on soft crimes Chow and Fat plays a lawyer man <laughs> he's a lawyer who somehow has these this this team of younger like his his minions doing his bidding, which is really odd because he's a lawyer. Yeah, but see, that's the great thing. It's like Chow Yun Fat is he's getting to that age. He could be like the Chinese Matlock, right? And I'm just I'm this dying character. for that. I want I want I want like him doing Murder She Wrote or Matlock, you know, as as a regular thing. I think that'd be awesome. His character isn't. He got he only got roped into story because he got roped into this hearing. For an event that happens in the first twenty minutes of the film, he's on a committee. <laughs> like <laughs> he is a committee member, man. He is like Holly Hunter in Batman v Superman. Imagine Holly Hunter and and her boy toy go out and investigate a detective thing, like going around like Bruce Wayne solving crimes. Does that make any sense? Go <laughs> on, it makes absolutely no sense. And he and and I think he fell asleep during this whole part. Is that Janice Mann? goes out and becomes like this crime solver trying to follow tailing a character and all it was just to get to that tunnel sequence the script writing mechanism is so obvious that you know it it never really it doesn't really come cohesively it's not cohesive it's not coherent the whole script is filled with these little plot holes none of it really makes sense um and and like you said there's no beginning there's no end you know nothing gets soft it kind of it, it feels like an episode of a drama of, of a TV show. Yes, yes it's it an does. episode of a TV show. That's what it is, and and not a very good TV show either. That's the thing. Um, there's so many these these loose plot lines like Arif, right? Arif was the ICAC investigator in the first film, right? Here is still an ICAC investigator, except he spends the entire time going around and working for Aaron, like. The ICAC works. If you don't know the Hong Kong structure of the you know law enforcement structure, ICAC was designed to be independent of the police force, and it's its own law enforcement agency because it was created to stop dirty cops. So imagine Arif, the ICAC investigator, but, spending the entire time working for Aaron. I'm like, dude, that's a hell but, of a freelance job. But you know, it's not. They're not dirty because he calls them the clean team, right? right? <laughs> It doesn't make any because I was like, "Look, dude, a freelance shop is a freelance shop, but you do, but like, don't you have like a day job to go back to? This is where I hope the ICAC guy comes out and gives a call to Eric and go, "Hey, buddy, you have a job. Like, come back to work, man. Like, stop hanging out in that desert house and doing illegal wiretapping and come back to work. Like, it just doesn't make for a film that is so obsessive about." job titles and protocols and government protocol and police protocol it completely breaks all of those protocols in like the worst dumbest ways and and in that way the um the the self-important even it makes it even worse um so to me it's just it's you know you kind of feel like well first of all the action is really lackluster anyway um and even the plot isn't even that all that intriguing um but again, just for the whole like subversive message and what they're trying to, and it's trying to get by on the goodwill based on that. But otherwise, it's really not that good. And the other, the other big point of suspension of disbelief that you have to have with this film is that this this rivalry between the Tony Leung character, Leung Kafai, and uh, Aaron Kwok's character. You know, we get to the point where Tony Lung thinks he can come back and be the police commissioner. Yeah. And I just, he, he's got a famous criminal son, right, who's been on TV, he's escaped, he's, you know, he's blown people up. I don't see any way that he would be allowed to come back and serve as police commissioner. I mean, I know, I have... I've I've heard stories of of students and people I know who've applied to the police force who get rejected because they have an uncle, right, who was has a criminal record and they won't take them just because of that, you know, distant association. So I just was like, dude, you've got a criminal terrorist son. There's no way you're going to get your job back. I mean, it's just it's beyond the realm of possibility. 
Well, that was one of the f- biggest plot holes in the first film. Remember, it was Eddie Pang, you know, Tony Lund's character's son, who gets kidnapped, and yet he gets to run the operation to rescue him. Yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, none of these make make sense in the first to begin with. It it it, it you know it does require again uh, the overlooking of of quite a bit um, to get into it. But I would still say that there's you know some entertainment value to be had. Um, in a few places. Well, the film is entertaining in a way that watching a terrible movie and picking on it constantly for 110 minutes keeps you entertained. And in that way, it entertained me, I suppose. There you have it. And uh, stay tuned for Cold War Three coming sometime in the next few years, I guess. Probably soon, I, sooner rather than later, since this is turning out to be a bigger box office success than the first one, I think, right? Right, but I, I am going to gloat that I did not fall asleep at this film, Paul. Yes, yes. Kudos to you, sir. Kudos to you. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have to, you know, maybe meet again for a sleep-off on the third film. Yeah. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. You have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. And we have received a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at concast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash concast. You can email us, eastscreen at gmail.com. Ask us a question. Tell us... You know, something you liked, something you didn't like, uh, we'd be happy to hear from you. You can also catch us on Facebook, uh, that is East S, West S, and we usually post uh, some info there when a show gets released, and uh, sometimes some trailers for things that are upcoming that we're going to be talking about in future shows. I do urge you to follow Kevin and all he's doing on his, uh, you know, various channels. So Kevin, where can they find more about you? Hey, you can uh, read my work on uh, Discovery Magazine um, and the Sigro Magazine uh, on Cathay Pacific Airways and Dragonair or Cathay Dragon. Um, this month, uh, I have uh, an article on Barbershop and the kid from Big Apple, as well as an article on The Lobster. Um, also, you can uh, get the magazine if you're not flying and get the magazine on the iPad app store and only on the ipad unfortunately um you can also follow me on twitter i'm at the golden rock um that's one word at the golden rock or you can email me at the golden rock at gmail.com um i'm also working on some movie reviews for lovehkfilm.com hopefully when kozo um does return and when he gets over the warriors losing the championship and he does return uh, apparently they will be uploaded and that includes Cold War 2 I will be writing a review of Cold War 2 so um, yeah look forward to those alright excellent our next show will be episode 197 and we should be looking at the new Johnny Toe film 3 which is due out this week right yep this week so all of that and more on our next show until then this is the East Green West Green podcast saying if you're going to snore during the movie you ought to bring your CPAP machine and we'll see you next time See you next time, everybody. been invaded what you want to say hi to uncle kevin say hi hi say hi here say hello hello say hello hmm hello no you gotta say here <laughs> you're being very shy huh Undecisive. you can't even see anybody
East Green, West Green. Say East Green, West Green. You say East Green, West Green? <laughs> it's like it's like East Cream Ice Cream. Yeah. East Cream. Yeah. Yeah. Are you ready to go to sleep? No? You don't want to go to sleep? Yes. All right. Hang on a second. Give me a couple minutes. Let me get it situated. <laughs> Sorry. Sure. All right. We got to find Mommy. But Mommy is still taking power. <coughs> Where's Popo? Popo is going back to home. Oh? 